Just as we, uh, as we begin our time this morning, we'll be talking about, about spiritual warfare. You know, the scriptures are very clear to us that there is a very real enemy, and his name is Satan. I, I was thinking about this, you know, there was a, 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 apparently, and apparently I've not been watching the news very much, but a tornado went through uh, in Gaylord and did quite a bit of damage, and so we certainly want to remember those folks in prayer. But the, but the reality is this, you can't see wind, but you can see the power behind it, what it does. And, and, you know, even though we can't see this invisible enemy, the spiritual realm, you know, with Satan and the demons and what have you, it doesn't mean that there's not power. Um, and the same thing is true. We have a God, even though the Spirit tells us he's a, he's a spirit, we can't see him, but he's even more powerful. So praise God for that. So Satan, created by God, is one of the highest of the angels, but because of his rebellion against God, we're told in Scripture that him and a third of the angels were cast out of heaven. And the Scriptures tell us some of his tasks, his tactics. It tells us that, that he tries to use these against men. It includes lies, it includes deception, it, it includes temptation, accusation, fear, all these weapons that Satan tries to use in this spiritual battle against us. And you know, he's very, very subtle about that. That is, he takes truth and he mixes it together with lies so that we're, you know, so it kind of looks okay, but, but yet um, he does that so we're unaware. You know, one of, I would suggest you one of the favorite schemes of Satan is to get us fighting amongst ourselves, even as brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, instead of realizing that we're truly members of one body and that we're all together in Christ. You know, it's kind of like with the Civil War where they were fighting against one another and fighting against other Americans. Scripture says it this way, Ephesians 6:12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This verse tells us that there is indeed a spiritual battle, and it's not against flesh and blood. It's not ultimately against other people, but it's against the powers of this dark world, against these spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. I mean, these are formidable foes. Um, we need to take them seriously, but praise God. Scripture also says this. In Ephesians chapter 1, and there's some similar language here. Notice what, what, what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in the second half of verse 19. It says, That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. He is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is evoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet, speaking of Christ, and has appointed him to be head over everything in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Praise God that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, of the body, and he has all power, ultimate power. He has overcome Satan, and, and we can have victory because we're in Christ. Now, with that being said, we're going to pray, and we're going to take a look at, at an account in, in Joshua this morning. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the fact that we're able to meet together in your name. And Lord, we, we, we want to be aware and realize, Lord, that there really is an enemy. There is a spiritual realm. There is a spiritual battle that's taking place. And so I pray, open our eyes, help us to see. Lord, help us to not be blind to, to what's going on even in the invisible world. I pray, Father, that, that this morning you would encourage our hearts, even as we gather together in your name, that indeed, Lord, we can have victory in you. 
Lord, we pray for, for the Carlson family today as Carol Carlson has passed. We pray, Father, that you minister your grace to them. Lord, we pray for those in, in, in Gaylord and, and others who have experienced some of the ravages of this tornado. God, we pray that your grace would be sufficient. You'd help those that are ministering in those areas. And Father, we pray that you would use these things, Lord, to, to bring people to yourself and, and uh, Lord, to bring glory to your name. Father, we pray even as we meet together right now, Lord, that, that you would speak to us through your spirit, through your word. Lord, help us to be drawn closer to Christ. Help us to be equipped to serve you better. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible, you want to turn to Joshua, Joshua chapter 2, we're going to begin. But just a little bit of history, background of this, this passage. The children of Israel were delivered by God from Egypt, um, and Due to their, their disobedience and their unbelief, they were not able to enter into the promised land. They, they, they remember it. They sent some spies in, but when they went in, they, they complained that the cities were fortified, that there were giants in their land, and they weren't willing to trust God. And because of their unbelief, um, they didn't enter in. And as a result of that, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until uh, they were under Moses' leadership at that time until everyone who was 20 years and older died. So then we pick up the passage that we're going to be taking a look at this morning, and Joshua is leading Israel, and now it's time for Israel to finally to enter into the promised land. And, and one of the things that has not changed, though, over all those 40 years is the cities are still fortified, and there's still giants in, in the land. And in Joshua chapter 3, we, we read how God has miraculously led the children of Israel to cross the Jordan River during the flood stage, and this has been no easy feat, and you remember it's somewhat reminiscent of how God rescued the Israelites from Pharaoh's army by the crossing of the Red Sea. And even before the Israelites crossed the Jordan miraculously, we read of the people of Canaan, how that they are terrified of the Israelites. I mean, you remember they sent two spies into the city of Jericho, and this is what, what Rahab tells us. So if you want to follow along, this is in Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. It'll also be up on the screen. This is what, uh, what Rahab says to the spies. It says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now, not only are they terrified because, because of this past history that they have heard, the scripture also tells us that they're terrified now because of this, this crossing in, in, of the Jordan River. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now, when all the Amorite kings east of the Jordan... And all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Now, I actually have been to, to the, the location where they think that the city of Jericho originally stood, and from that location, you could actually look down into the Jordan Valley. They would have been able to see the children of Israel on the opposite side of the river, and they would have actually been able to see the water stopped up from, Jer from Jericho City and see the people cross over. So, so that's, the, that's the background. You know, in human wisdom, you would think that the people are terrified of them, so immediately attack. 
But instead, God does something that's just, just kind of crazy. It doesn't make any sense at all. So look at it, in Joshua chapter 2, we first see here God's agenda before the battle is our hearts. God's agenda before the battle is our hearts. In Joshua chapter 5, uh, verse 2, the Lord tells Joshua to have all the men circumcised because during their 40 years in the wilderness, they had not been observing this practice. Now, just think about that for a minute. From a practical standpoint, you would have thought, at least God, if he's going to have them be circumcised, have them do on the other side of the Jordan. At least there's this natural protection of the, of the Jordan River from their enemies. But that's not what God does. They cross over the Jordan River. Now they're in enemy territory, right? And, and God tells them that all the men need to be circumcised. I mean, think about that. This would just make them absolutely vulnerable and helpless to attack because all of their fighting men would have, been, would have been incapacitated. God tells them to do that. And so what are they going to do? Even though they may not have said, that doesn't make any sense, they trust God and they obey him. I mean, what is it that God is up to? What is he wanting to teach them? And he's going to teach them this over and over. And this is the big idea of this message today. All right? The main lesson that God wants the children of Israel to learn, the main message that God wants you and I to learn, the only way to be successful in fighting battles is to be fully dependent upon God and completely obedient to Him. I'll say that again. The only way to be successful in fighting battles is to be fully dependent upon God and completely obedient to Him. That's the main point of our message today. You remember the sign of circumcision was given to the children of Israel as part of the Abrahamic covenant. And it said that God was entering into this unconditional covenant with his people, that he would be their God, and that they would be his special, special people. And as a result, they were to live as a set-apart people for God and follow him alone and be obedient to him. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, perhaps you've been in situations where you knew what God wanted you to do, but from a human perspective, it didn't seem to make a whole lot of a sense, right? Perhaps you've been deeply hurt by somebody and you know that, that God's word's telling you, God's telling you, you need to forgive. You know, I don't know what that may be, but, but God's first thing here is he's trying to grab a hold of the hearts of the children of Israel before they even enter into battle. Psalm 51, 17 says it this way, the sacrifices of God are not animals, Right? Although they were required to do that. Listen to what it says. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. So the first thing we see here is God's agenda before battle is our hearts. Does he have your heart? Secondly, we're going to see in this passage is the courage, the courage to obey. The first city that God directs the children of Israel to attack is Jericho. Now, you guys, we're familiar with the story of Jericho. This is going to be a major challenge for the Israelites as Jericho is surrounded by walls that, that they tell us were so thick that they could have chariot races on top of the walls. So two chariots could fit side by side on top of the walls the entire way around the city. I mean, from a human perspective, this is going to be an impossibility for these guys. Satan knows that if he can cause us to become frustrated, discouraged, or fearful, that he can defeat us. I mean, perhaps that's the reason, if you look at Joshua chapter 1, 
Three times in Joshua chapter 1, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. And so we want to look at this and see what God says here. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, the passage picks up. It's the eve of the battle, and as you can imagine, Joshua's this brand new commander, right, that he's probably really, really nervous. And God is, so Joshua is out by himself. He's near Jericho, most likely he's praying. He's trying to figure out what in the world are we going to do. So picking this up in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up, and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us? Are you for our enemies? Now, so, so picture this. So Joshua's in enemy territory, and he, account, he encounters a stranger who has his sword drawn, right? Like this guy's ready for battle. And instead of trying to run away or hide, Joshua confronts this man, and he says, Are you for us, or are you for our enemies? Now, given the situation, that seems like somewhat of a logical question to ask, right? He's trying to size up what, what in the world's going on here. But notice how, how this individual responds. In verse 14, it says, neither. Now, question, did Joshua ask a yes-no question? No, he didn't, did he? No, he, he, doesn't ask the question, he doesn't answer the question that Joshua was asking. Basically, what he's saying to Joshua is, Joshua, you're not asking the right question. He replies, neither. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. See, the question is not, am I on your side, Joshua? The question is, are you on my side? See, the stranger is not coming to Joshua as some lieutenant. He is coming to Joshua as the general. And I think that's, this is a question that all of us need to ask ourselves. You know, we live in a world that is so quick to be divisive and take up sides. And this can even be true within the church. And we do that for lots of different reasons. You know, sometimes it's because we've been hurt. So, sometimes it's, it's because we don't trust each other. Sometimes it's because we feel some sense of loyalty to someone. But the question that is being asked is not, are you for me? The question is, are you for the Lord? And notice Joshua's response. It says, Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence, and he asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Now, in asking that question, most likely Joshua is probably asking, you know, okay, do you have some advice for the battle that's before us, right? And, he, and he's looking for answers here. But, but notice what it says in verse 15. It says, The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I mean, does that, does that passage, does that ring, remind you of any other passage of Scripture? It's, it sounds a lot like Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush, doesn't it? You know, that he told him, hey, you're on holy ground. You take off your sandals. And, and that was before Moses was sent to go deliver God's people. And so who is this that's standing before Joshua? Well, some people say, well, this, is, this just must be an angel. But it can't be an angel. Because Joshua bows down and worships this man. And whoever it is does not stop him. I mean, if you remember in Scripture, angels never let men worship them. Matter of fact, in Revelation 22.9, the apostle Paul, John, uh, he falls down to worship an angel, and the angel gets upset and says, do not do it. 
I am a fellow servant with you. And then he tells him, worship God alone. But Joshua, he bows down and worships, and this man doesn't stop him. This is what the, the, the theologians call a Christophany. It's an Old Testament pre-nativity appearance of God in human form. This is Jesus before he's born in Bethlehem. He is the commander-in-chief of the Lord's armies. And, and basically what's going on here is Jesus is reaffirming the promise that he has made to Joshua in Joshua 1.5 when he told Joshua, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. When Joshua has this encounter with the Lord, three things happen. Number one, he bows down and he worships. He humbles himself before God and he worships God. And quite honestly, that always has to be the starting point if we're going to win the spiritual battle. That our hearts have to be attuned that we bow down and we worship. Number two, he is confronted with his own sinfulness because the angel tells him, take off your sandals for this is holy ground. You know, the reality is when we see God for who he is, it causes us to see ourselves for who we are. It helps us to see that we are sinful, wretched. You remember Isaiah chapter 6 where, where Isaiah has this vision of God and he's seated high and he's enthroned on high and, and then as a result of seeing, seeing God, he responds, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people who are unclean. He sees God and it helps him to see who he really is. And the third thing we see here then is there's this confrontation of the will of God. Because Joshua asks, what message does God have for her servant? And I can just ask this question. I mean, how, how do you see God in your life? I mean, do you see him as a lieutenant or do you see him as a general? Do you, do you see him as somebody that you come to, you know, who, who is good to get advice from? Or do you go for him, you go for him for comfort and help? Or, or, or do you see him as, as the Lord, as the commander of the armies of the living God, the one who's in charge of all? I, I've heard it said this way, two words that never go together are no, Lord. Think about it. Those two words never go together because indeed if he is Lord, the answer is always yes. So this becomes a significant question. We talk about the spiritual battle. When we read in James, we read verses like this that have to talk about victory in spiritual battle. James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says it this way, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then it says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But notice that order. We submit to God first, and then we resist. So we need to see God in the midst of the battle, realizing that he is with us and that we can trust his promises. I, I don't know if this is reminiscent to you at all, but in the Great Commission, God tells us, go into all the world and to make disciples. But you remember at the very end of that, he says, for lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Just like he told Joshua, I will be with you always and help you in battle so the first thing we've seen is god's agenda before battle is our heart secondly we've seen this courage to obey god 
is with us. The third thing then is the principles of victory. And the first one is the principle of submission. So in Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 to 5, it says this. Now Joshua, or Jericho, was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out, and not one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. Now, let me just stop right there. Did did you notice what God said there? God said, past tense, the battle has already been won. Did you see that? He said, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. See, the question comes down to, to whether we believe in faith that that is true and then to live accordingly. The question is, are we going to obey God even when we don't fully understand? And so then he gives these, this is what he gives instructions, continuing on. He says, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, and then the walls of the city will collapse, and the people will go up, every man straight in. So God gave Joshua some pretty strange marching orders. Um, Literally, pun intended, right? They probably didn't make any sense to Joshua or to the fighting men. They basically weren't doing anything. I mean, it would be kind of like this. It would be kind of like you're, if you're playing football, right, and your coach tells you to go into the game, line up on the, right, line up, hike the ball, but don't run a play. And he tells you every play, go do the same thing. Line up, hike the ball, don't run. And if you do that, you're going to win the game. I mean, it's like, really? Right? That would be crazy. I mean, do you think it might have been hard for Joshua? He's a brand new leader. He, he, he wants to have these people have confidence in him, right? And um, he gives these strange directives. But Joshua submits himself to the Lord, and he obeys the Lord's directive. So the, the first principle, we have the principle of, of, of submitting. The principle of submission. The second one is the principle of silence. I mean, what's this all about? I don't know if you ever thought about it. Why did God have them march around the wall once a day for six days in absolute silence, and then seventh time on the seventh day? Right? What's that all about? I mean, undoubtedly, the, the Israelites may have been even experiencing it, you know, as they're walking around once a day quiet in silence. You know, the people up on the top of the wall may have been, you know, mocking them and saying humiliating things to them and taunting them and yelling out. We don't, we don't know that. Scripture doesn't say. But what in the world is going on? What is God trying to teach the Israelites? I want to suggest to you that God is trying to teach them the secret to winning the battle. And as they are walking around the wall each day, God wanted them to learn that what he wanted to do through them was not nearly as important as what he wanted to do in them. As they were walking around the walls, nothing is happening. At least not outside, but something is happening inside of them. I mean, think about it. How hard, how hard is it for you to be silent and shut out the noise of our world? You know, we're not very good as a culture with this. Right? We get into our car, we turn the radio on, right? We get home, we turn the TVs on, right? I, I mean, how often do we actually sit 
in silence and listen to hear the voice of God. Even when you spend time in, your, in, in God's Word, right? Your quiet time, right? Hey, quiet time, hey, silent, right? How often does it take for us to get our minds so that we're not thinking about everything else that we got to do and everything else that's going on before we finally are able to be silent and still and hear what God's trying to say to us? You know what I'm saying? Psalm 4610 says it this way, Be still and know that I am God. We need time of silence before God so that we can hear His voice. We need times when we are still before God, reading His Word so we can see what God is up to. And I want to suggest to you, that's part of what God's doing here. They're walking around in silence every day. Nothing's happening. Maybe not with the walls, but God's wanting to do something inside of each one of them. And just think about it like this as well. I mean, so we already said that the people were pretty terrified, right? Just imagine the psychological warfare that's going on with silence, right? So they watch these, these guys march around the walls in silence once, and maybe they're making fun of them or whatever. And then they do it again, right? Day three, they do it again. I mean, at some point, it's like, man, what in the world's going on here? What are these guys doing, right? I mean, there, there's something, right? They're messing with their heads, too. We don't know all that, but... But we know that this is exactly what God told them to do, and God had a purpose and a plan in that. The principle of silence. The third principle we see in this passage is the principle of surrender. The reality is that God doesn't need us to accomplish anything for him. I'll say that again. God doesn't need us to accomplish anything for him. This is the God who speaks words and creates universes. You think he really needs us? He does not, and yet, and yet God wants to use us. So what we do for him is not nearly as important as who we become in him. I'll say that again. What we do for him isn't nearly as important as who we become in him. God wants us to learn to be less focused on the outcome and more focused on obedience. This is not a battle they're going to fight for Jesus with Jesus' help. This is a battle Jesus is going to fight for them. They just need to be willing to surrender to whatever God has called them to do and to obey. I mean, how often in life, how often in life do we think that it's all dependent upon us? I mean, I think that possibly the reason that this is such a formidable foe, the city of Jericho, that this is the very, very first battle that God has them fight is because from a human perspective, there is absolutely no way that they should win this battle. God is wanting them to learn that the battles are only won by complete dependence upon Him. It doesn't mean that we don't have to show up to the battle. They did have to show up to the battle. But we need to exercise faith in God and not faith in ourselves. That's why when Paul talks about the spiritual battle in Ephesians chapter 6, this is the way Paul says it. This is Ephesians 6, 10, and 11. He says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the armor of God that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We have to be strong in the Lord, not in ourselves. We need to let His strength, His power, 
right? Our security needs to be found in him. He needs to be the one who's in charge of our lives. Um, John the Baptist said it this way in John 3.30. He said, he, Jesus, must increase, I must decrease. But how often, our culture basically says, how often do we believe, no, I got to become greater, I got to become stronger, so that when then when I'm great and strong, then Jesus can be greater and stronger in me. And then I'll know how to stand. That is not what scriptures teach. Matter of fact, the starting point of the gospel, the starting point of the gospel is that I am a sinner separated from a holy God, and it is absolutely impossible for me to save myself. The only way that I can stand before God is to humble myself and admit I need God's help and for God to give me the righteousness that is a gift given to me through Jesus Christ. In and of myself, I am defenseless. In and of myself, I cannot overcome sin. I cannot overcome Satan. That is the starting point. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners like me and like you, so that for those who are willing to acknowledge their sin, repent, and put their trust in Jesus, they can be saved. This is our response to the good news of the gospel. The result of this, then, is that now I can stand forgiven by God in Christ with the perfect record of Jesus put to my account. You cannot be strong in yourself and be strong in God. Now, that is not only true for salvation, that is also true for how we have to live our daily Christian lives. And so that's why Paul starts out and says, be strong in the Lord. And the way he tells us to do that for the daily battle is this dependence that we would have by putting on the armor of God. The armor of God is just a daily demonstration that I need God's help to live out this Christian life and to walk in victory. Well, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens in the battle if we think that we can fight the battle on our own and in our own strength. The next battle that the Israelites fight is a, is a battle against a small little town called Ai. And after spying out the, the town, they determined that they only need to send up 3,000 troops or so to go fight the battle. So let's pick it up in Joshua chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. So, so about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. And at this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. I mean, as you can imagine, this absolutely crushed Joshua. And he cries out to the Lord, why did we lose the battle? And God responds in chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. He says, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenants, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. And that is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and they run because they have made they're made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. And in verse 13 he says, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. So why has the power of God left them? Well, the passage tells us there's a man named Achan who sinned against God. God had told them not to take any of the gold from Jericho, but he disobeyed. That broke his relationship with God, his fellowship through his disobedience. He stopped depending on God to meet his needs. 
to fill his, to fill his life with meaning. And somehow he, he thought, okay, I need to have this gold and, and, and that will help me. I mean, I mean, this is idolatry. And it makes it impossible for us to experience victory in our lives. I mean, it's not like, it's not like Achan stopped believing in God. That, that wasn't the case at all. It wasn't like Achan forsook God. He was adding something to God that he thought would complete him. He's looking to something else in addition to God. I, I mean, just on a personal note, when I, when I was in, in high school and college, my parents never had to tell me to study. I always studied because, to me, that report card at the end of every semester was my measuring stick to say I'm good enough. Right? If I got all A's, then I could feel good about myself for another semester. When I was in college, the same thing. I studied like crazy. My wife, she had fun when she was in college. I was always studying. That is a true statement. But I tell you, the motivation for why I was studying wasn't because I wanted to learn. The motivation for why I was studying was because that was my measuring stick. If I got a good report card, then I could feel good about myself for one more, one more semester. I, when, I, when I graduated from college, I seriously wanted to go get a master's degree. And my number one motivation was I was struggling so much because I wasn't getting the affirmation on my report card. Now, God revealed that to me, and, and he did a work in me, and I knew there was no way. I, a guy was like, you cannot go to college. To get, you cannot get a master's degree if that's your motivation. The other thing I realized about that was I was adding something to God. You see what I'm saying? It wasn't that I forsook God. I was adding something to God and saying, I need this in addition to you so I can feel good about me. I don't know, if, I mean, do you ever feel that way? I mean, do you ever feel like you have to look to something else in addition to God to try to complete you? That's exactly what Achan was trying to do here. And you realize that you will never have victory if that's where you're at. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 says it this way, In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're angry, do not give the devil a foothold. I mean, I, I realize this verse is specifically talking about anger, but you realize it applies to any sin in your life. One definition of sin is this, is to look to someone or something else other than God for meaning or purpose. Do you hear that? Is to look to something else other than God, right, for you to have meaning and purpose in life. That's what Achan was doing. Achan was trusting in riches instead of God. And as a result, they experienced defeat. And I want you to understand, it wasn't just Achan who experienced the defeat that day. It was the entire community that experienced defeat that day. But thankfully, we worship a God that when we confess our sin, right, when we repent, he is faithful and just to forgive us from our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so we can get back up again and we can walk in victory. Praise God that we worship a God like that. We are all involved in a spiritual battle. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, you are. And if you act like there is, the spiritual battle is not taking place, you are an easy target for the enemy. The main point of this lesson today, and I hope it's come through, is the only way to be successful in fighting spiritual battles 
is to be fully dependent upon God and completely obedient to him. That's it. So just some questions. Are you living an obedient life to God even when it doesn't seem to make sense? Satan loves it when we live our lives according to how we feel instead of according to what God's word says. Our culture is really, really good at having people live according to how they feel. And that's problematic. God tells us we have to live our lives according to what he says in his word. I mean, if you know that you have some areas in your life that are not pleasing to the Lord, and I just want to challenge you to be honest with God about that, and praise God for this idea of repentance. It's an amazing thing that we could admit our sin, right? We can repent of that, turn away from that, and we have a God who promises to forgive and cleanse. And then we can walk in, in newness of life. I mean, if you're stuck in something and you don't know how to get out of it, I mean, the challenge there is, I mean, ask for help. I mean, that's why we exist as a community. Another second question. Are you living a life of courage or a life of fear? God has made many, many promises to us and just like he promised Joshua, he promises you and me he will never leave us. He will never forsake it. God is with us, and we can trust him in the midst of our battles. And I do believe this with all my heart. If, God can, if Satan can get you frustrated, discouraged, or afraid, he can defeat you. He loves to use fear as a tactic. That's why, what... 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. That's not from the Lord. Number three, are you actively daily living a life of dependence and surrender? Satan loves it when we try to live this life in our own strength. We will only have victory as we are strong in the Lord. So what does that mean? What does a life of dependence and surrender look like? Right? We need to daily spend time in God's word, allowing God to speak into our lives to grow us in our relationship with him. I mean, if you think that you can stand alone, 1 Corinthians 10 says, take heed lest you fall. You cannot stand alone. We need to be daily spending time in God's word, you know, talking to the Lord about those things we have no control over and ask him to work and do what only he can do. And quite honestly, this may be disconcerting if you've never actually sat and thought of it. What do you actually have control over in your life? I am serious. We have control over almost nothing in our lives. But we go around and we live our lives like we are in control. Like we don't need God's help. And if you realize, I don't have control over almost anything, but I know someone who does, doesn't it make sense that we would humbly come before him all the time and ask for his help? You know what I'm saying? I mean, one of the things that's, that's been happening in my life over the last number of weeks, just more recently, is to realize I have no control over so many things. And that is true. I don't. And you know what that's caused me to do? It's caused me to go to the Lord in prayer. It's like, just pray, Lord, 
I am so grateful that you're head of the church. I'm so grateful, Lord, you love this church more than I love this church. I am so grateful, Lord, that you can do something about it and I can't. You know what I'm saying? But that's true for every one of us in this room. I, I don't know what's going on in your life. You know the only thing you do have control over according to Scripture? The one thing you do is you. What kind of thoughts you think, what kind of actions you have, what kind of speech you have. That's why the Bible talks so much about self-control, because we are supposed to have self-control. Matter of fact, the Spirit of God says that, right? What are the fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. You can do that with God's help. We're never going to have victory in a spiritual battle if we don't learn to exercise dependence and surrender to God. That is where the power comes. We also need to be involved in each other's lives. Because we, you know, when some per one person's discouraged over here, somebody else can come along and encourage them. Some, you know, when you get discouraged, somebody can come and encourage you, right? We're in this thing together, whether you like it or not. Right? And just the last question, and, and that is, and I'll be done. Are you trusting in others, people, whatever, other than the Lord, for your, for your worth, your affirmation, your security? I was trusting my grades to try to say, okay, hey, you're, you're okay, right? It needs to come from the Lord alone. So I want to challenge you in those things. Surrender those to the Lord and trust Him alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word tells us of the reality of this spiritual battle that's taken place. Lord, we've only talked about one aspect of it this morning, uh, of Satan, but Lord, we know there's a battle that takes place within our own hearts, and we know that there's a, a world system that's set against us as well. But I pray, Father, that you would help us. Help us to, to, to realize that there is a battle, there is a real enemy, that we can have victory, but it's not found in standing by ourselves, trying to somehow muster up the strength in our own power, but only as we're dependent upon you. And Lord, I pray that, that, that you would just help each of us as individuals. I pray that you'd help us collectively, Lord, to, to be an encouragement to one another, to come alongside of each other as soldiers of Christ, to follow after our commanding officer, to do what he asked even if it doesn't make sense. Lord, that we might experience victory. Victory in our personal lives, victory as a community, victory as a church. So Lord, we pray. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I do understand that, I believe this is a true statement, that every other battle that Joshua led the children of Israel, they were victorious. So they had to have some defeats to realize it's only through the Lord. And then when they got that figured out, they had victory. May God help us to do the same. You guys are dismissed. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.